late tackle, a late bit of transfer business, a late winner. We all love some late action. So here we are finally. And all I can say is we got here as quickly as we could with a brand new <laughs> intro. I am still Rory. It's great to be back. And I am joined by my new good friend, Adam. So hi, everyone. How are you? I, As you can tell by my voice, I'm so excited to be joining Rory for this new adventure. But Rory, more importantly, how are you doing as well? I am pretty good. Um, I want to firstly apologise if there's any audio issues or any audio differences <laughs> to the normal service. I'm currently in what I think is the accommodation for a boarding school every other day of the year, as <laughs> I am still at summer camp, so I'm on my crappy little headphones on Hopefully, Wi-Fi that's going to hold. Uh, no students should be in the building, so I should have the Wi-Fi all to myself. So, fingers crossed. Um, but I'm good. A little bit tired, but getting towards the end. And football is back to distract me and to keep me entertained. So, it's all good. Adam, how are you? Mate, I am absolutely refreshed. Uh, as people who do follow me, they've probably seen on my Instagram, I've had a really good break, holiday, more importantly. But more to the point, I think I'm just looking forward to this new season with you and obviously Andy. We're talking lots of uh, football again, which is great. Um, but Rory, let's get the elephant out of the room as well, um, because there is something we have to announce to our listeners and those viewing as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of not particularly happy news. So we were excited at the beginning of the season with obviously yourself and Andy joining mm. the pod. Um, but unfortunately... Um, Tommy has had to leave um, the pod. It's kind of personal reasons, personal issues have, have, arri- have arisen and he's not able to continue. Obviously, we are all absolutely gutted that he's not going to be able to continue with us. Hopefully, he'll be able to pop on a few times and see where he can squeeze us in. Um, before we kind of get on with the rest of the show, I just want to say without Tommy, this would not have started. So I want to say thanks to him. Um, it was his idea. It was our conversations, our endless conversations about football that led us to this point. Um, it's This podcast got me through rough times during COVID. It got me through rough times in general. And I think, um, yeah, without Tommy, none of this would have happened. So I'm gutted he's not going to be with us, um, as we all are, I think. But yeah. we will um, battle on bravely, and hopefully he will show his face um, down the line somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure he won't, be, he won't be able to resist yeah. coming back at some point, I think. He's got to, hasn't he? He's got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, Rory, let's start off because we have got a bumper episode for our listeners, haven't we, to be fair? So we might as well start off by talking about the Premier League. And let's start off by talking about your beloved Arsenal, right? So it wouldn't be the Premier League without Arsenal kicking off this whole campaign. And boy, did you get off to a good start. I am just delighted that Sky Sports didn't get what they wanted. Sky Sports <laughs> massively, massively wanted a repeat of the Brentford game. And I thought, this is like a huge mental test for that Arsenal squad. I think like for a big first game, I don't know why. Well, I know why, but they had to pick Arsenal Friday night again. Like, yeah. And for the, the team that started, most of that team was, or a lot of that team mm. did start against Brentford, although I'm not not a lot of them, but a, a few of them. Yeah. And I think there were still those mental scars. You can see in the all or nothing that we're going to talk about in some special yes. episodes, how much that affected the squad and how much of a, like, a test that was them to get through. So I think this Palace game was huge, as mm. we saw, and as we knew from last season. I think like Selhurst Park is one of the best atmospheres in the league, in, if not the best atmosphere in the league. It's one of the hardest stadiums to go to. They are a crazy, exciting team and like really yeah. talented, and they are going to beat a lot of teams by a lot this season. 
Um, but I was really impressed by how mature Arsenal were. We absolutely dominated the first, you could say, 40 minutes. Um, yeah. Towards the second half, we took our foot off the gas in classic Arsenal style and put ourselves under pressure unnecessarily, you know, because <laughs> old habits die hard. Um, but we made it to the first half, then a late winner to make it 2-0. I was just really, really, really excited by this performance. Um, yeah. The summer in general, I think, has been fantastic. Um, Zinchenko is such a huge yes. line such a huge signing. I was so glad that we got him. Um, I think he just adds a bit of not only the versatility, but his maturity, his like calmness, his mm. technical ability. You could just see like towards the end, he was struggling and we had the depth to bring on yeah, Kieran Tierney. Like we've got squad depth again. Um, and then Jesus up front for the first half hour was just an absolute handful. I think it was mm. a really, really important positive start for Arsenal. Um, and we've got a run of games now that touch wood, we should be doing okay in. Um, and the squad now looks quite healthy. And we're looking like there's still a few areas that need addressing, but a very, very exciting start. What did you make of the performance? Yeah, I, I was going to allude to Sinchenko, really. I think that performance was really all about him and what he brought to that team in particular, because I felt like with Arsenal, there's always been those kind of jitters, maybe nervousness with that squad, especially for the first game of the season as well. There would have been a lot of pressure on those players. And as we've seen in All or Nothing so far, I think something that we take for granted is they are young players who yeah. some of them need confidence, some of them need the mentality. And that's where maybe bringing in someone like Zinchenko, he brings that maturity, he brings that kind of know-how in those sort of game positions where you need to be calm, you need to just take it in a bit more. And I think he's going to be a blessing for you guys in terms of mm. great signing, great value. I mean, to be honest, that should have been like 50 mil, not 30 yeah. mil. I just think for what you'll do. It's interesting though, I'll put, put it to you, a um, lot of commentary that I've heard since that first game of the season seems to be around... Zinchenko's not the natural left back, but he can fill in, right? But mm -hmm. when Tierney is back, do you see Zinchenko being part of the Arsenal midfield or do you think he's going to be one of those that's rotated for games? I think it's quite interesting. I think he could almost play the Xhaka role, I think, mm. because Xhaka plays that left side midfield and tucks in at left back in order for Tierney to bomb on. And I think Zinchenko is literally born for that role. Yeah. So I think we will see so that Xhaka doesn't have to play every minute of every game. And when he inevitably gets <laughs> yeah. suspended for five games, um, there'll be someone to fill in. I think we will see Zinchenko in midfield more. I think that means that we won't potentially get another midfielder. I think mm. we're focusing on a winger because Zinchenko will be able to fill in. I still think we'll make a move for Tielemans, but I think Zinchenko's versatility is just huge. And we've yeah. seen in Arteta's system, players often need to be able to play multiple positions. Ben White played right back against... Zaha, one of the best wingers in yeah. the league, and had the most successful tackles of anyone in the Premier League mm. this season, uh, this weekend. So I think the players he's got are versatile, and they have to be versatile. But there's one player that I can't believe I've not mentioned yet, and he's not even a new signing. But in the classic Arsene Wenger, he feels like a new signing. Mm. William Saliba, I am yeah. absolutely in love with him already. I think this is a player that at times I thought, is he worth the hassle? Um, mm. There was some. There were some personal issues that were out of his control, but there was a lot of like disciplinary issues. There was a lot of talk around, it. is he going to leave? Does he want yeah. to play for the club? I think a lot of it, all of it was just media noise. Mm. From what 
I've seen he's an Arsenal fan from when he was a kid. He went out on loan at Marseille and had got voted the Young Player of the Year in Ligue 1, which people can slag off that league, but that league produces the most mm. like young talent yeah. in the world. Like All the players you're looking at in big clubs, most of them came from Ligue 1. Yeah, exactly. so he got the Young Player of the Year. He comes in and finally, after three years, makes his debut mm. and gets man of the match. And without him, we do not win that game. He was absolutely flawless. His passing, his timing in the tackle, the tackle on Zaha where he was trying to get a penalty was that is dangerous to go to ground there. And he executed yeah. it perfectly. I think just I was so happy that it went well because he's a player that <laughs> yeah. listening to Arsenal podcast, he's just been constantly there. Saliba, Saliba, yeah. Saliba. And to finally see him in front to smash it was unbelievable. Mm. So I think I was so excited about him. Yeah. I think Gabriel had a shaky game, but I think Saliba and yeah. him could form like quite a quite a yeah, definitely. It feels like there's a solid base going on there. Mm-hmm. And since our recording on YouTube, so for those that don't know, we did a predictor series on clubs, their thoughts. We did it at the end of June, it was. And yeah, that was still early because Gabriel Jesus hadn't even signed them. <laughs> yeah, so that shows yeah. you how long ago that was recorded. But um, as just to wrap it up, what do you think Arsenal need to do in the next few weeks of this window? Do they need strengthen any further or do you feel confident with this squad now? I would still like Tielemans. I would still yeah. like another midfielder, someone who's a bit more, his passing is a bit, he has a wider passing range than Xhaka. I think he's a bit more dynamic. I do like Xhaka as a player, as a person, I have issues with him. But I think as a player, I think he, he is massively underrated. And he got booked for diving, and Zaha did not get booked for diving. And it's a classic, because <laughs> Jackie gets booked for everything. But anyway, um, I think we still need cover for him, and I think we need another winger. Um, I like Nicola Pepe, but not often enough. Yeah. I think he has flashes, but if we can get him gone, and we've been linked with Jeremy Pino from Via, Villarreal, which would be an unbelievable move, mm. I think. So I think our business still isn't done and we still need to get rid of some players. I think getting rid of Torreira is huge. Um, what's his name? Mari has just gone to Udinese. No, Monza, right? We're going to talk yeah, about that Monza, later. Yeah. Um, so I think most of our business is going to be selling, but we could bring in one or two more. But even looking at the squad now, I think our if you look at the first game of this season, the first game of last season, the difference is insane. Yes, it has been quite fast. And just quick word on Chris Palace. They've sold Benteke. Um, do we feel we're a bit worried by the fact that they haven't got anyone lined up by the look of things? I mean, yeah, it's a strange one. I didn't think he'd be leaving Crystal Palace personally. Mm. But yeah, I mean, from what I've read from a lot of Crystal Palace fans, they're actually excited by the fact of maybe Zahar through the middle. What's your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I thought we'd see more of a lean towards Odson Edouard. Like, he was so good mm. in at Celtic. And I think in flashes yeah. last season, he was decent. I remember when he came on for his debut, he scored a brace within, like, two minutes, right? Yeah. I think, like, he's a player that definitely has ability. I think we might see a move towards him more often. Mm. And I think Zaha down the middle could actually be really interesting. Um, I do not worry about Palace. That squad is so exciting. Yeah. I think, like, even... Bereze, I could just watch him forever. Honestly, I could just love him. Just yeah. on YouTube clips of him forever, just running with the ball. He's just a beautiful player to watch. Michael Elise, they're like very quickly becoming my favorite team that aren't Arsenal in the league to watch. Yeah. just that team that and even I want to get the name. Abue, Abue, Abuele, Abuele. Yeah, um, 
he came on late against Arsenal and caused us like it's a good job we mm. had Tierney because at that point I think Zinchenko would have been struggling. Um, mm. He was unbelievable when he came on as well. So I think they're just full of exciting talent and Joachim Anderson at the back. Yes, we could yeah. not handle his passing at all. His passing was unbelievable. So I think mm. Vieira's got them playing great football. They've got a great team. I think we could see him push a little bit further than they did last year. I hope. Yeah, so. certainly, certainly. Anyway, we we as viewers will see. We can't be joined by Andy for this particular yeah. podcast, but he has left us with some thoughts about Man United, in particular about that game at Brighton. Hello there, lads. Just thought a few share a few of my thoughts regarding the game at the weekend. So yeah, obviously United played uh, Brighton, and much like um, last season, uh, they we got thoroughly done over. Um, so yeah, obviously going into the season, going into this first game of the season, there was a fair bit of optimism. We'd had a reasonably good pre-season. Um, you know, we've obviously strengthened in terms of uh, Martinez at centre back, Ericsson, uh, Tara Malaysia is on the bench. So yeah, um, I think there was a bit of optimism going into the new season. Um, I think. Um, obviously, there has been a bit of a backdrop, which was unwanted. Obviously, Ronaldo um, has made it clear he wants to leave. He's not really trained during pre-season, so he was on the bench. Um, I think what was disappointing is that we're going into another season in which uh, Freddie McTominay are the starting centre midfield pair. I think they've both got their assets, uh, things that they do well, but I think as a collective, I don't think they're good enough um, to be part of like a top four midfield going forward um so and i think it showed in the game uh to be perfectly frank um you know there was you know we got passed through the lines a bit too easily leaving defensive little protection i thought martinez had a bit of a shaky debut could have been very very easily conceded the penalty that should have been given uh we looked all right in the second half i kept possession quite well and you can certainly see what it contributes um on the attacking third of the pitch as well. So I think that'd be an asset, but um, and Maguire was actually re- reasonably solid. Um, I think his lack of pace probably lets him down sometimes, but other than that, he didn't really make any glaring errors. But I thought the awareness of Shaw and Dallow in defensive positions is absolutely shocking. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the experiment of having Christian Alex as a false nine wasn't a great one. Um, I think the fact that, you know, we're obviously with Martial and Ronaldo as effectively our only sort of proper strikers, maybe Rashford at a stretch, uh, it's disappointing. So, yeah, and I think um, a lot of the confidence issues are still there from last season. Uh, Marcus Rashford is the absolute shadow of a player that he was. Um, whether he can get that form back under Ten Hag um, remains to be seen. And I really hope as a fan he does. But um, the first game certainly wasn't promising for from that point of view, I think a key moment for that was that he was, you know, he was put through by Ronaldo one on one, and you just kind of knew he wasn't gonna stick it in the back of the net, you know, even if it was a good save by um, Robert Sanchez. Uh, but you know, you've got to give credit to Brighton; they played really, really well. Um, you know, Moises Caicedo, McAllister, Pascal Grob, you know, they ran rings around the midfield, certainly attacking. Uh, they played really well. Danny Welbeck. Um, you know, he gave us a really, really hard time. Um, you know, they gave Martinez a real, real test, to be fair. Uh, really good at holding the ball up. So, to be fair, you know, they were more than good enough value for the win. Um, and hopefully, performances improve next time. So, Rory, um, we've had the thoughts of Andy on particularly Man United. Um, 
should we just start by bantering about this club or where, where do we want to start with this club because uh, i thought we were so over delicious. this i thought this was like a transition period i thought you know ten Hag positive appointments and then you hear even after the brighton match who they're trying to sign which is just crazy um but Let's just start by talking about the match itself. I mean, given the amount of time that Ten Hag had with Man United, are you surprised there's a lack of identity in the way they're playing? I expected. I on like oh, it's weird, isn't it? Before the game, I piled money on Brighton to win. Like, so I yeah. I, I won quite a bit of money off it. So cheers, Brighton. Um, but I piled <laughs> money on Brighton to win because I thought that it's only going one way. But mm. I did expect more from United. I expected more of a like a difference in style. I expected to see a form of identity, a form of like, okay, this is what they've been working on all summer. I think mm. it was summed up by the video that came out after the game of Harry David De Gea having to tell Harry Maguire which tunnel <laughs> yeah. they line up on. Like that is I think I put it on a Twitter page as like Google, show me the opposite of intimidating an opponent. Like at that point <laughs> Brighton must have just been like, okay boys, just wait they will implode and we'll get the goal. And that's what happened. Brighton were fantastic. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I like the where I am. I'm in Eastbourne. I'm working with a lot of Brighton fans and they get annoyed that it's always like United were crap, United were crap. Brighton were very, very yeah. good. Let's say that straight exactly. away. Like uh, yeah. Casado in midfield was unbelievable. Mm, insane. Um, Danny Welbeck was like peak Danny Welbeck. He was amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for United, that midfield is beyond... A, yeah. a joke now. I think McTominay, how he doesn't get sent off, it's a yeah. classic, and I'm going to keep banging this mm. drum. If that was Xhaka, he's banned for five games. Like, that tackle yes. was yeah. horrific. Um, and he got that from having possession. He had possession mm. running up the pitch, and he ended that move by nearly breaking someone's leg. <laughs> like, yeah. that that midfield, with Fred included, was absolutely non-existent. I think um, Rashford, he needs... He needs a holiday. He needs a psychologist. He mm. needs something. He is not the player he used to be. Sancho, not enough people are talking about how big a flop that's got, that guy's been. We're still hearing about Nicola Pepe and Sancho was yeah. more and has been worse. Um, I think there's just a lot of... There's a lot to unpick at United. The squad is yeah. only one of the issues. Like It's a big issue, but it's only one of the issues. We've What we've seen in the last week has been highlighted more is that it's the owners, right? And it's the staff yeah. up, up top. If they think, as you alluded to, that Arnautovic and Rabio are the answer, yeah. I don't know what the question is. Because like, yeah. UV fans are pushing Rabio. They, they are laughing, aren't they? They're absolutely mm-hmm. loving this. And I heard on another podcast, potentially McTominay might be offered as a swap exchange at this stage with Rabio, which... I think they're not even liking that prospect if it goes to that because they'd rather keep Rabio. But yeah, I mean, we'll just really take less like... money, just keep McTominay. Yeah. Fine. Um, yeah, and Rabio is a weird one because not only is he a player that had some of the worst passing statistics in Serie A oh, last yeah. year, he's also someone whose mother <laughs> completely yeah. explodes his career every two years. So he. Uh, when France were knocked out of the World Cup, that way it was her, his mum who blamed everyone yeah. except her son for them getting eliminated. It's the reason why nobody at Juventus wants him there anymore, apart from the fact that he's had terrible form. Um, 
he's another player that just brings more problems than he's worth. I'm half expecting mm. United to be linked to Icardi next, if you know what I mean. That's just completely well, set. Like... We, we did banter in our WhatsApp group that a certain Alvaro Morato has been linked since, uh, so the money laundering scheme continues. continues. Um, but yeah. yes, that'll be another it's 60 not... million. It's not promising at the moment, but let's give, pro- like you've said, credit to Brighton because Pascal Gross as well, another name mm. of a player that did really well. He's gone under the radar for me for the last two to three seasons. There's no reason why, but he was phenomenal. And again, I can see him making strides this season, potentially getting into that German national squad right now and really making a name for himself. But what was interesting for me, I think, at the start of the season, I didn't feel like Brighton were there in terms of personnel. I didn't. I felt like yeah. they needed like three or four signings. But Potter, th- that was a masterclass. What he actually showed was probably what Ten Hag wants to achieve with Man United. So basically what you saw on Sunday was what Man United are trying to achieve versus someone like Brighton who are giving a chance to a young coach, being patient, but more importantly, giving trust to those players, which... I mean, let's talk about the Man United rebuild. That is going to take a decade. I'm going to put it out there. I think this is going to be at least a decade. I mean, there's so many fans that seem to have this thought of Man United will be in the top four this season. Don't worry. We'll get a few signings. Ten Hag will get them playing. No, this is going to take a number of windows to fix. And this is like just the rotten core. Like you said, it stems from above. But ultimately, if Ten Hag's come in and everyone thought he would change it round... Actually, you, you're seeing flaws across the pitch. I mean, I was surprised to see the back four being the same as last season. I don't know about you, but I just, for me, why is Luke Shaw there? There's no form there. Maguire, I mean, he's just banter FC. He is he's someone else who needs league. he needs a psychology. That I think yeah. it, it, there's a thing of, and now my girlfriend is not hugely into football, but she's had to be since <laughs> the start of, since we started living together. And I remember a few years ago when we when we got together, she said. Every time she watched the Arsenal team, she was like, these need someone to talk to. They need someone yeah. to sit down and talk to them and tell them that they're athletes and remind them that, like, she's like, you can just see their mentality is nowhere. And I feel like that's where United are now. There's so many of those players where the mentality is just, yeah. the second you can see that goal, the head goes down, oh, here we go. It's another day. Yeah. It's going to be like this. We know we've seen this before. And you could see the second Brighton got that first goal, even when United fluked the 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 kind of the consolation. Yeah. I was like, they're not getting another one. Like they, they haven't no. got the belief in themselves to get it. And I think it's also interesting with Brighton and United because you've got two teams that are almost in terms of recruitment, the polar opposite. Like yes, Brighton, exactly. they've now got money from the Kukurea sale, right? Um, I'm really intrigued to see where that money's going to go and who they're going to bring in. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see who they're going to bring in. United have just spent £60 million or whatever it is on the Sandro Martinez. Arsenal decided he was only worth 35 and ducked out. I'm not judging him off one game, but he... I don't think he's a £60 million player. I, mm. I think there's a reason why people, not everyone was after him. Also, they've gone for a manager who isn't, who hasn't had to build teams. He's had teams given to him. The whole Ajax thing yeah. is that you have a director of football who buys players. You have the youth system that bring players through and you have to get them to play the best that they can. Yeah. Ten Hag is now being trusted to build a team. Again, mm. it's like United, even picking the manager, they've recruited badly. Yeah, like they've not thought they've just gone. He is a big name in Europe who everybody's talking about. Let's just get him. He'll fix Mm. our problems. Whereas what they should have done is got Potch a few years ago or they should have got Graham Potter and handed him over the thing. If you know what I mean? I think it's 
just bad recruitment again. And until there's changes in staff and ownership, yeah. I can't see it getting any better for United. I'm sorry, United fans. Um, I'm I'm enjoying it as an Arsenal fan, but as a football <laughs> yeah, exactly. fan, we don't like seeing a, cl- a big club being badly run, like because a team like that should be achieving more. They should be achieving should, so much yeah. more, and those players should be achieving more. Definitely. And Andy's kind of reflected on our group that he's not looking forward to the Liverpool game because that could be the kind of moment that kind of decides how this season actually is played out. Because if they don't even like, I think what we saw even under Ragnick was there was no passion. There was no desire in that those games. So if they don't show it, then that's going to be telltale sign of how this season's going to go. Anyway, um, Rory, just wrapping up for time. Let's talk about all or nothing. So um, we're kind of three episodes deep at the moment. Um, what's your early impression so far of all or nothing on Arsenal? I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> I think I was like, you're always expecting the memes and the jokes and the like, and that's part of the fun as well. Like, oh, you're on Twitter afterwards. But I think actually Arteta's come out of it really well. I think he's come out of it really well. And you can see as an Arsenal fan, you can see that he cares as much as we mm. do. Like you can say anything about his tactical naivety, about um, team selection, about his ego. What you can, what you, what is patently clear is that he, all he wants to do is achieve something with Arsenal, and that's something I can get behind. Um, I've fallen in love with the players even more. Um, players like Saka and Smithrow and Ramsdale, who they've obviously yeah. focused on. Nuno Tavares was like this surprise, like hum- yeah. human story that came out and just mm. made me like just absolutely fall in love with him. I still think there's a player there. He's going to come back from Marseille and we're going to have a decent player there, I think. I think we're going to do some special episodes kind of breaking down in detail. But so far, I'm really impressed with Arteta. I've already ordered the T-shirt, which has Arteta's Arteta's drawing from before the Tottenham game. And that is going to be waiting for me when I get back to my home in Crewe. I've already ordered that. Um, Yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I think I've watched the first episode twice now so i'm on my second way around for the first right. three episodes um i proper studying it but i really really enjoy it like, what were your impressions of it um for me yeah i mean it's clear to see that arteta has a bright mind in terms of how he's trying to get his philosophies across different ways of thinking which is probably what arsenal needed it seems like there's been a systemic abuse shall we call it whereby it's been stagnating over time um but one of the questions I was going to put to you is around Arteta is that although I've only seen up to episode three right now, it feels like he's taking a lot of the pressure on his shoulders. Now mm-hmm. it's kind of reflected that he's learning the game himself. So he's obviously new to manager or this is his first appointment, but it is quite clear that I feel like he's almost overprotecting certain yeah. players and it'll be interesting to see the coming few episodes, whether that starts to boil over or whether that pressure yeah. is kind of telling it in a different way. Um, another point that I've just put down here is notes, Aubameyang as captain. And I don't know if it's clever editing here, but he's not very vocal. I, I expected, I... you know, someone of that kind of ilk. You see Ramsdale, for example, when mm-hmm. he comes in, he's very vocal. Even when they lost 4-0 against Liverpool, yeah. he's like really frustrated, not just at himself, but at the team. He's kind of trying yeah. to say look, where's the balls? What, what is people doing? And it was interesting seeing the reaction of Arteta after that game because what we saw was what he did on the pitch with Klopp, yeah. right? And then 
And I don't know about you, I don't know whether his comments about him freezing on the occasion really helped uh, on that particular match. But it's an interesting one. But ultimately, (laughs) all I would say quickly before I get you to pass your commentary, I feel like you can see the players, they need sometimes nurturing. They need a shoulder over them just to say you can do it. And it's interesting that they've got that specific coach there, I've forgotten his name, but is developing their oh, mindset. Carlos. Yeah, Carlos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's obviously trying to get them to get over the mental barriers that they seem to have, mm-hmm. uh, especially Tavares, as you've said. Yeah. You could see he kind of, after that Liverpool match, he sinks to his knees, really. He's just like sodden. But yeah, what about you on Arteta? Yeah, I think it's really it's fascinating because it's like all part of that Arsenal project, which is tied in together, a young team growing alongside a young coach. And I think we've kind of, there's been some rough times and there will be some rough times still. Yeah. But I think we really nailed that appointment. I think we don't have, like, he is so, you can see the players absolutely love him. The players listen to everything he says. I think the players that didn't are now gone. Um, and I think like that's something he's done very well. I think he, yeah, I think the story about him freezing at Anfield, I thought it was really interesting because I remember the game and he did. <laughs> I remember <laughs> what happened. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was very clever. I think look, we were always gonna, we were always gonna lose to Liverpool at Anfield. Like it was never. Yeah, gonna it's gonna be, be hard, else. Yeah. I think what the, the benefits of that would be long term when the players like, well, I'm not afraid to tell him that I'm struggling now because he stood in front of all of us and said. I completely shat my pants on the world stage (laughs) and didn't move for 15 minutes. Like I think the benefits of that speech are long-term rather than short-term. I think Mm. I've been really impressed by him, but I'm bound to say that I'm an Arsenal fan. Although I know plenty of Arsenal fans who are still Arteta out and convinced that the documentary (laughs) Um, But we'll do, I think we'll go more in depth on that over some uh, special episodes. I think we should quickly round up the rest of the Premier League. Yes, let's do that. A little bit and then we can jump to Italy. Yes, exactly. Yes. So uh, Man City, great start. Um, kind of expected, but what did we make of Haaland? The guy's pace. I forgot how quick he is. <laughs> yeah. I forgot how quick he is. When he, that second where he, he breaks into that first stride of running, mm. the acceleration is insane. I just, yes. and he's so huge. I was just watching. I was like, it, yeah, it just reminded just me again of what a freak of nature he is. Um, we're going to see that. Kevin De Bruyne assist Haaland goal a lot mm. this year. I think. I think I'm just going to yeah. save it in my drafts constantly. Like goal City assist De Bruyne because it's going to be every <laughs> game. Um, I think West Ham were massively disappointing. Um, I think they had like ten percent mm. possession first half, just properly didn't turn up. City yeah. just could not like West Ham just could not get the ball. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Man City look pretty pretty impressive. But the team that really impressed me this weekend, I didn't expect it. Was Fulham. Fulham. Yes. Looking yeah. like Mitrovic. Mitrovic two like... goals and Trent exposed at the back post again. Um, something yep. else I might save in the drafts folder as Trent <laughs> exposed at the back post. Again. But, <laughs> again. But I think um, Fulham were really impressive. And not only did they score two against Liverpool, but they I've not seen a team do that many tricks and flicks in a long time. They were doing little mm. showboating like the moment where Mitrovic beats Van Dijk and Henderson in one move, yes. I think. Like, there was a lot of, like, showboating from Fulham. And I am 
even if they get relegated, I'm all for that. I just love seeing a team that would seem to be having a bit yeah. of fun whilst I'm, taking on one of the best teams in the country. I was really taken aback by Fulham. I thought they were really, really expansive. I mean, you, you kind of expect it with Silva in charge. He's not one to kind of park the bus as such, but yeah, yeah. he is kind of about philosophies. I was a bit worried about the fact that they hadn't signed as many players. I mean, I know Palinia yeah. from uh, Sporting Lisbon is going to be a good player for them. But it's just Shane Duffy. Quality. Don't forget Shane Duffy. Oh, <laughs> oh, let's not forget about him. And they've also taken off Bert Leno off your hands as well. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I just, mm. yeah, there's bad vibes about the fan base at the moment, and that's around their pricing. It's been highlighted yeah. by the likes of Archie Rintup. But just in general, I thought that might have caused a bit of like a toxic atmosphere at Fulham, yeah. but it certainly hasn't affected the players. So I fair can't imagine Craven Cottage being like a cauldron. If you know, I, mean, I can't <laughs> yeah, really yeah. imagine it being like you know, just oh, old pensioners. It's really going, oh. uncomfortable here today. Like I don't know. Yeah, just the the sound of the groan of middle class England. Quite <laughs> yes, as exactly. intimidating as like sipping their like, champagne, Galatasaray. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was really. Um, but I think the problem with when Fulham came up last time was that they just bought entirely new players. Um, and they, I think here, at least Marco Silva's tried to stick to the squad and be like, yes. you know, we know how to yeah. play with each other. We have a system inbuilt here. We're ready to go. Whereas, and check this for a segue, a team that I did worry for because they've done a Fulham is Nottingham Forest. Well, I, yeah. it's a, it was a difficult first game away to Newcastle, granted. Yeah. Um, a lot of the team that got promoted for them were all loans, as we've kind of recovered on the predictors, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And as Steve Cooper himself said, I have to build a squad in order for us to yes. be able to stay up. <laughs> like, I've not got that there. Um, I thought they were massively disappointing against Newcastle. I think they really had nothing up front. Um, I think Lingard didn't even yeah. realise he was on the pitch. I think that's going to be a theme throughout the season. I was quite worried for them because they're a team that a lot of people have mm-hmm. said, you know, I think they're going to be comfortable. I They'll get better as the season goes on. I have no doubt about that. But they need to get points on the board quickly. And I think their run of four, their run of games is not the easiest. I think they've got Spurs coming up soon. Um, so I was just a little bit worried for them. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on the yeah, trees were. I think, obviously, they had a good run under Cooper, obviously trying to get to that stage where they got into playoff mix and then eventually got promoted. But... It was always going to be a tough ask of Nottingham Forest, especially as they had a number of loans come at an end at the end of last season, as well as Bryce Samba, the uh, notorious goalkeeper who I decided <laughs> to leave guy. them. Um, yeah. Brilliant. But they had to make the replacements. They had to make a lot of changes. It's going to take time. Let's yeah. um, give them time. But I think they will get some points on the board sooner than we think. It's just going to be interesting to see who's the next signing because they seem to be unfinished in that department but Rory Mm. let's talk just briefly about Spurs as well um incredible performance against Southampton Southampton who I think probably everyone expected to do better this season again because they made some promising signs in the transfer market but again I mean it just seems like basic errors they're doing right now I I think everyone's saying Brendan Rodgers is the first manager to go I think it's Hassan Hootel here I think he could be on his way if he doesn't get points on the board. And this is going to be a tight Premier League at this moment mm-hmm. in time. But just word on Spurs, Kulisevsky looks well, insanely yeah. good. Um, Juventus fans are probably not looking forward to him again. and But he looks 
10 times player he was at Juventus. And it's interesting that you just need a manager that puts a lot of trust in you and you get performances like that. I mean, play, uh, Allegri, yeah. Allegri, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, a manager that wants to attack. Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, that front three for, for Tottenham and now the depth with Richarlison. Like, I think I said it in the in the um, predictive videos. I still think Richarlison will only turn up four or five games a season. But he's a very good option as cover. Um, I think that front three can beat anyone on their day. Yes, um, yeah. With Conte at the helm, you never know what they can achieve genuinely. And I think I've yeah. uh, I've said it before. They should, they should yes. be the team that push Man City and Liverpool the furthest. I think. Um, I think their squad is in better shape than Arsenal's at the moment. Um, they've got a manager with more experience, um, mm. and I think they should be pushing on and this was a great start to the season when Southampton got the first goal there was hope for all of us but then all I think all they did was just piss them off and they were like right okay here we go um and they soon put it to bed they've got a big test this weekend um I think you should move on to the previews they've got a big test this weekend as they take on Chelsea so Conte going back to his old horses round and Tottenham have a horrendous record against Chelsea um I was looking in my notes Mm. If I can find them, I think the last time they beat Chelsea was in, they've not beaten Chelsea in 11 games in the Premier League. Wow. Ali Kane and Son scored the goals in a 3-1 win, I think it was. So their record against Chelsea is terrible. Um, but from the Chelsea-Everton game, I think what we saw was they lacked a bit up front. Um, and now they've got rid of Werner. Mm. That might help, maybe. Um, but I think this could be... A couple, I think Tottenham could end the run here. I think they could actually think do quite can. well at Chelsea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. And Chelsea, we have to say, I, I think there's a lot of worries going on at Stamford Bridge right now. The supporters are really frustrated with the lack of signings early on in this kind of transfer window. But mm-hmm. now it's becoming a lot more evident. They may be becoming like a Man United where they're scrambling around for these buys. And it's going to take, again, some time for those players to settle in. So... Mm-hmm. Be interesting. But yeah, I, I fully expect Tottenham to get a result, whether that be a draw or whether that be a win. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Spurs could get that elusive win they've been craving mm-hmm. at Stamford Bridge. But yes, certainly I, I have a lot more high hopes for Spurs this season. That's for sure, Rory. Yeah, so that game is um, on Sunday. That's one of the big mm. part of Super Sunday, maybe. It's kind of a Super Sunday. The game before that is not... Forest West Ham, which I feel like... Feels like a game from the seventies, if you know what I mean. I've not seen that fixture in a while, right? Um, But the other big games this weekend, uh, should we look at what is now a massive game? Brentford versus Manchester United on the Saturday late kickoff. Um, Brentford getting a great comeback against Leicester. Um, Mm. Ivan Tony against Alessandro Martinez. I'm quite excited to see. Um, That could be (laughs) a bit of a battle. Um, But what do you make of Brentford and their chances this season and this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I thought they did some really good business with Aaron Hickey, for example. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, what he did at Bologna was incredible. But interestingly, they've added Damsgaard, who has been off the radar since the Euros because he had a bad injury at Sampdoria, didn't really get to play much last season. And please, whatever you do, do not look at his record at Sampdoria for last season because that's not an indicator of what he can do. But he is genuinely an exciting player. So fantasy football teams, if you're looking for someone that could be a surprise out of the bag, he could be the gem that you go for because I really am excited about him. I still think with Brentford, they either need to get one more striker in. Um, I don't know who that is, but someone in the form of 
to challenge Tony or at least help him out for certain games. But also, I think Tony needs to maybe change uh, his game a bit, be a bit more selfish. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds really weird because that's probably against Brentford's philosophy. But yeah. yeah, they do need someone that can just stick up top and just bang in a few goals, even tap-ins. You know, that's the yeah. kind of thing that I think will help them propel them further on this season. But wait and see. They made some interesting signings with the likes of Ben Mee as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Fully expect on Saturday for Brentford to win this, probably one or two nil. Yeah, I think they're going to get. I think they're going to spring a not massive surprise there. I think yeah. for people who aren't, uh, aren't aware of Damsgaard, he's the one who scored the absolute banger against England in the semi-final. Yes, semi-final. He's, he's, yeah. He scored the rocket. Like he's a player. I bought him in my Fanta Calcio last year, and he was injured the entire season. Um, <laughs> but he is a very, very, very good player. So I think Brentford have almost replaced Ericsson very cleverly there. Um, mm. The only other game I think we're going to talk about this weekend, maybe, because we need to move on to Serie A is the fact that it's going to be Arsenal. Of course it is. I'm going to the Emirates for the first time in about a year and a half, and I'm crazy excited. Um, But there's always a but. I'm going to be in the Leicester end, so I'm going to have to sit on my (laughs) hands the entire time. Um, Yeah, a boy at the... uh, a colleague at the summer camp has got us all tickets. It's our final weekend of the camp. So to celebrate, we're having an all day in London and we're going to watch the mighty Arsenal against Leicester. I'm pretty excited because I feel like we could do them. Touch words. I feel like we could do them. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we have to also just quickly say Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. That is an 80s black classic, right? But yeah. In this kind of term, um, it'll be very interesting to see how um, Liverpool there at home as well. Um, Crystal Palace are normally one of those sides that can spring a bit of a surprise. They do need to get some points on the board. I don't know if it's going to be this weekend, though. I, I get a feeling that it's going to be Liverpool that win, unfortunately, here. Palace's record against Liverpool is terrible. I was looking at the last um, the last game. So in the last um, in the last six games, they've conceded one goal. Liverpool in the last six games against Palace, Liverpool have conceded one and scored twenty one. So I think mm. Liverpool usually do quite quite well against Palace. So Palace with a rough start to the season, Arsenal yes. and Liverpool that is a rough start to the season. Um, so I think Liverpool will get their first three points. Darwin Nunes looks a bit clumsy, but he's always in the right place at the right time, and exactly. I think he could be a hell of a signing for them um, and could push them on. But I think it's time to go to Italy. Let's do it. So let's cover the first kind of game week of Serie A. And let's start by talking about the teams themselves, because we've got a few new teams in the mix, haven't we, Rory? But Mm -hmm. interestingly, we've had a lot of signings take place in Serie A, which has really strengthened some sides. So in particular, Roma. But let's go through it. So I think let's start off with the uh, interesting side, and that is AC Monza. Um, for those that don't know, obviously owned by a uh, certain Villasconi, and he's got his right hand man, Gigliani, as well. So, yeah. obviously, he's got the foundations of AC Milan. That's what he's aspired to. He's aspired to the derby with AC Milan, but he's brought in some incredible players along the way. <laughs> I mean, well. it's incredible. Yeah. Matteo Piscina. I did not see that happening, but he brought him in. Caprari from Verona, that's an interesting one. Sensi from Inter. Rinocchia, we have to say Rinocchia for those Rinocchia, that remember yeah, from that guy. City. But S- also, S- yeah, exactly. Rinocchia. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also, goalkeeping-wise, he's brought in Kragner from uh, Calgary as well, who is that, that is a solid keeper. That keeper was one that has been one of the best keepers in Serie A for years, and that is... 
one team had to come and get him. And I think, like Tommy used to always say, Inter should be getting Cranio. Like he was a great goalkeeper. I think he's huge for Monza. I think the the Pessina deal and the Caprari deal, I think they're quite interesting because they're loans. Mm. And then if they stay up, they become permanent. So it's kind yes. of there's the there's the mandatory future fee in FM terms um, if they stay up. Um, so some interesting moves there. I think Sensi, if they can keep him fit, yeah, that could be massive. Because I remember yes. when he did play for Inter again when he was fit. One of the most technical, like quick feet, like really yeah. enjoyable player to watch, but very technically incredible. I think again, without injuries, he would have been in the Italy squad at the Euros. I have exactly. no doubt. Um, yeah, so that's a huge, huge signing for them. Milan have got three teams basically, uh, which is a bit crazy. Like Monza's only an hour, not even an hour away, so it's going to exactly. be exactly. three quick extra word. derbies next year. Yeah. That's incredible. And you've got some games to watch now for once, Rory. But yeah, one quick word. <laughs> Marlon, he's a defender that's been brought in from Shatka on loan, previously from Sassuolo as well. Um, interesting player. I think, obviously, people should just keep an eye on his progress this season um, because I think he could be a gem. Like Shatka, unfortunately, due to the war, they've had to get rid of certain players on loan. Um, he could be one to look out for. Mm-hmm. But also, it wouldn't be drama without Bellasconi in charge of a team and potentially they might be trying to bring in Wanda and uh, Mario Icardi to the club. What's your Good luck now? to them. Good luck. I think, if, I think if anyone can manage him, it would be Bellasconi. He yeah. had some real characters in that Milan squad uh, in uh, in the decades that he owned that club. I think if anyone could manage him, maybe it would be Bellasconi. Um, we will have to see. It would be great to see Icardi back in Serie A, to be fair. It's, it's nothing but box office, right? It's nothing but yeah, box office. Yeah, no. I'm um, a bonga bonga fan. But well, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, but also, down at the bottom of the table, I wanted to quickly say, Cremonese have also pulled yes. off a beautiful bit of business bringing in um, Dressers, who is the striker from Feyenoord. He played in the conference final against Roma last year. Before his move, um, in the Belgian League, in the Dutch League, sorry, he'd already got three goals and an assist in four games. Um, So Mm. he was a player in the final that really impressed me as I watched their run to the final. But this striker's definitely, you know, like kind of good in the air, strong, quick, a decent finisher. I think for Cremonese, that's quite a big coup, really. Like for a, a team coming up from Serie B to get a player who was just in the European final, I think that's a pretty crazy move. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of the teams at the bottom um, coming straight into Serie A with a real intent, which I think we've not mm. seen in Serie A for years. A lot of the teams just came up and were like, okay, cross your fingers. Like Crotone and Palmer and players like that. And yeah, Salernitana yeah. really crossed their fingers and it worked <laughs> out. But I think like a lot of those teams, they leave Serie A and you see them again in Serie B. And I think a lot of teams now in Serie B, as we've seen with Fabregas moving to Como, there's a bit more infrastructure in that league now. There's a bit more money washing around in that yes. league. And some of the teams are coming up a bit more prepared. So I think Cremonese could pull off a few surprises. They've also been a team that have been pushing for promotion for years. They lost Mm. that in the playoffs year after year and were always the better team. Like classic kind of, they'd be third until the last day and then fall into the playoffs. You know what I mean? (laughs) They've always been there and now I really hope they take the chance because they're they're, they're a good team to watch. I think that that sign in dressers could be be huge for them. Mm. Let's mix it up. Let's go back to the top of the table. Um, I'm really excited by Roma this season. I don't know about you, Rory, but like the signings they've bought in so far, um, just incredible. So if I just just talk about them, we've got Dybala, we've got Vinaldum, we've got Matic, who's probably nothing. But yeah, 
We've got Chilik, who uh, is the right back, Turkish right back at Lille. Um, it looks like he's gone to his um, previous side, Benfica, Sevilla. Um, he's been brought in as a backup goalkeeper by the look of things. But they still want Belotti as well, which I'm surprised Belotti is still without a club. But again, if they're not in the top four by the end of the season, yeah, Mourinho really needs to be moved on because I, yeah, I can't I've... understand how they haven't achieved it, but they will. They, I, I can mm-hmm. certainly see them being in the top four mix. But should they be considered as Scudetto potentials? What do you think? I think there's an outside chance. Now, regular mm. listeners to the pod will know that I have a, a leaning towards um, Roma, and I do really, really always hope they do very well. Um, <laughs> but I think if there's a league that a 38-year-old Nemanja Matic can do well in, it's Serie A. If yeah. there's a league that a Vinaldum can have a remontada in, it's Serie A. Like, I think Mourinho knows the players, what they can do and how the league works. He won it a lot with Inter. He obviously won the treble. I think mm-hmm. Serie A hasn't changed that much since he's been there. I think he's got a, a team there and a club there that are a thousand percent behind him. Him winning the cup last year was huge. I think that will get him so much more support. I think we're seeing a change in Mourinho, like we said before, that this is a long-term project for him. This is not yeah. three years and gone. This is something that he wants to do. He wants to build something there. Um, I think for all those signings for like no money, I was looking at their transfer record. They're plus, they're 30 million in the green because they've mm-hmm. managed to sell Paulo Lopez under... They've basically sold all their players to Marseille, but they've got the money <laughs> and they're in the green. And for Mourinho to be on like to be in the green after a transfer window, that must be the first time, I swear. Um, but he's built a hell of a team. We all saw the videos of Dybala being received in Rome. You can see how much it means to that city. And yes. yeah, how Bellotti has not been snapped up yet. Manchester United, <clears throat> you should be looking at Bellotti. You need a striker. Yeah, he will get not Arnautovic. <laughs> he will get you goals. He's 28 years old. He's, he looks yeah. older than he is, right? Yeah, he's still he pretty young. He's in his peak. Like, how he's not been snapped up yet is unbelievable. He's consistently in the top record, in the top goal scorer's charts at Serie A. Mm. And that is in a Torino team that never do anything. They're always 14th, 15th, 12th. Mm. Like, and he's still consistently gets goals I think put him in a team that actually has quality around it you think of that front three now for Roma between like Dybala Pellegrini and Abraham and then you've got Bellotti to come off the bench like that is some serious attacking talent um yeah I think there's a hell of a squad there and again Mourinho has done it very very quickly yeah, you only have to see that preseason friendly against Shatka where they did that move. I mean, that was oh, just like, that was just a sign of what could be happening yeah. this season at Roma. So if there's anyone that you should keep an eye out on, it's definitely Roma this season. Let's talk about the club that we don't like talking about very often, and that's Juventus, Rory. Um, obviously, they brought in some decent players, it has to be said. Mm-hmm. And somehow they've managed to shift a lot of players that they didn't want there as well. But let's talk about the players that they have got. So Di Maria, they brought in from a free transfer at PSG. Seems like a sensible bit of business. Mm-hmm. Bremer, who they brought in from their rivals, Torino. That is going to be interesting now because he's probably a bit more of a laid-back centre-back that is allowed, yeah. if he's given the freedom, he'll roam forward and create attacks. But I don't know if he'll necessarily have that. He won't be doing that anymore. No, no, that's going to be beat out of his game. Yeah. yeah. And then Paul Pogba, who uh, has now famously got that injury, so he'll be out for four to five months, potentially not even making the World Cup, which 
everyone could see happening. Um, But interestingly, they still want some new players. They want Filip Kostic from Frankfurt, who is a very good player. Um, Interestingly, they're kind of talking about him being a left-back, which is not a position they really need to be playing him at. But that's typical Allegri-style football there. And uh, Mm -hmm. looks like they're the sole runners for Memphis Depay as well. Um, I wanted to uh, just say to you, Dorori, it seems like Vlavic in preseason doesn't look like the same Vlavic that we know of Fiorentina. Is that just because he's been beaten by Allegri or what, what is it? I think he, his agent, I, I know I'm an Arsenal fan, but his agent made the wrong choice. His <laughs> agent made the wrong choice. You've taken one of the most promising strikers in world football and taken him to a manager who has zero interest in attacking. I think we are not going to see Vlavic develop at that club. We're going to see him stagnate. We're going to see him get bored. We're going to see him get petulant. I think it's not like, I know it's kind of early days. He did okay since he got to Juve. I think he would have had a better ending to the season at Fiorentina um, under Italiano. I think he would have had a much better ending. I think with Allegri ball, he was never going to do well. Um, it's a shame. It's, it's really a shame to see it because he is such such a great player. I think, look, he could still go on and win Capo Cannonieri next year and Juventus could win the Scudetto because it's Juventus. Mm. You never know what's going to happen, right? They, they're usually up there. I think they've had some very inter- like, some very intelligent business. I think the fact that De Ligt is gone, he wasn't that impressive yeah. at Juve. I think he needed a fresh start. They needed a fresh start. For them to get Bremer when it looked so tied out, it looked, it looked like it was done for him to go to Inter. For them to come yeah. through and go, we've got him. I think that's huge. Um, Zakaria, when they signed him in January last yeah. year, was massive for their for their midfield. Mm. Depay would be great in that league. You know, he'd you yes. know he'd kill Serie A. Yeah. And I think again, Serie A is the league for all day pensioners. So you know that <laughs> Di Maria is going to tear it up, right? Di Maria is yeah. going to have a hell of a season. He's still criminally underrated. Criminally underrated. I think yeah. people remember that time at Manchester United where the show where. No player gets better at Manchester United. No players get better there. And I think mm. Maria, Di Maria is still judged for that. He is an incredible player. I think that's a huge signing. Um, and unfortunately, if Allegri decides to utilise some of the attacking talent he's brought in, we could see them challenging for the Scudetto. I think the biggest problem they have is that they've not moved on from Allegri. I think that's that, That's problem. it. That's it. And I'm going to make a bold prediction right now and say, if... Juventus are not in the top four by Christmas. I could see Allegri being moved on. That credit, the credit for those nine Scudetto or Scudetti in a row, whatever it was, is running out and yeah. has run out already. I think the fans have kind of seen that football has moved on beyond him. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, he, he, it, it's not been impressive, has it? It's not been no, impressive. No, no. Let, let's move on, mate, because we've got a lot of these teams to still crack, crack I know, yeah. We've got to squeeze them in here. Napoli, Napoli, interesting. De Laurentiis is stealing the headlines because he doesn't want Africans in his team. We know because he wants to have a waiver that basically says they can't represent their nations in the AFCOM, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. I'm going to put that on record. I don't care. The guy's a basket case. He was also talking about a United. In the same speech, he went from that to a United, um, what is it, European and American army fighting against China and Russia. Like, the guy's insane. I think, don't take anything he says too seriously. The Napoli fans don't really like him that much either. No, exactly. But let's talk about their signings. They've got the uh, Korean, is it Min Jao Kim from Fenerbahce? Mm -hmm. Interesting player. Leo Oscar, who they brought in from Brighton. And 
the interesting one it's one to keep eye an eye out because i think he's a player that's not just for this season he's more for the following seasons and that's the georgian wonder kids i want to see how you're going to pronounce this i want to see how you're going to pronounce this kelly kelly um but yeah probably ruined his surname but yeah um interesting kids because he comes in with a lot of height Hopefully he's more Georgie Concladze than Tamuri Kutzbaya, but um, <laughs> this kid, he's interesting. And just before I let you talk, Rory Raspadori, Raspadori yes. looks like he's coming in from Sassuolo. Interesting blend of player that I think will fit the ethos down there. But my worry is Kulabali's gone. They've a lot, a lot of vocal players have left as well, like the likes of Mirtons, which we'll talk about later. And obviously, yeah, it seems like a certain player by the name of Fabian Ruiz is going to PSG as well. So I'm not actually that confident about Napoli's opportunities this season. I don't think they'll uh, repeat what they did last season, unfortunately. Um, and Osimhen, that's another player that Man United should be trying to sign. But yeah, he won't go there. Um, but more importantly, where do we think Napoli will end up, Rory? I think they could do OK. You've got Spalletti, so I think you're always going to get top four. That's what Spalletti gives you. He gives you top four. And I think Napoli will be fine. I think the player they brought in the centre-back from Fenerbahce, um, the South Korean guy, I can't, I'm terrible with names. His profile, I was watching him today. He's Mm. a big old boy. He's a big boy. But what I was really impressed with was technically with his feet, he was unbelievable. His passing range is incredible. He's able to beat a man. Those progressive runs, I was really, really, I think he's kind Mm. of, from what I've seen, obviously the step up from Turkish Super League to Serie A is going to be a bit of a big step up, but I think mm. he fits the profile of Koulibaly and that could be some very, very clever recruitment. I was really, really excited by him. And he did Gangnam style in his initiation, uh, <laughs> initiation song, right? Which I think shows a fantastic level of self-awareness, you know, give the crowd what they want. You know what I mean? I was really impressed with that. But the Georgian guy, now obviously mm. it's gonna be a football Kavita, manager. Just, yeah, but that's it. he has been on football manager, he is unbelievable. So I sat and watched him today as a bit of research. I was like, right, let's see what this kid's about. Now, obviously, the Georgian League and the Russian Premier League that he was in before that, again, not the level of Serie A. The guy is only 21. Mm. So as you said, it's a signing for the future. But my God, he's exciting. He can, like, long long range goals with his left and right mm. foot. Um, again, able to beat a man. I think they say press resistant in the football hipster <laughs> yeah. community. Um, he's really able to kind of avoid that press and also very mm. good at pressing himself. For an attacking midfielder, really not afraid to stick a foot in and get a tackle in, win the ball back. I was just really impressed by him. And I thought, thank God this wonder kid I saw on Football Manager Looks mm. like he's a wonder kid. I mean, it's been a big summer for football manager wonder kids uh, with Sesco looking like moving, Addy Amy moving. Yes. Um, so for this kid as well, I'm like, oh, yeah, they keep nailing it. So I'm happy that he's gone to Napoli. I think it's a really, really a place that he could like thrive. Um, Definitely. So he's kind of my player to keep an eye on in Serie A this year. And he's someone 
none of the boys I play Fanta Culture with listen to this, apart from Tommy. Hopefully, um, he's one of the he's one of the players that I am definitely going to be chasing because I think he's going to get a lot of minutes and I think he could be really good. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's move on to Milan. Then, obviously, Inter have done some big business, but they won't have a sponsor across their shirts this summer <laughs> or so going into the uh, so season either. potentially. But they have got an interesting signing by the likes of Christian Aslani, for example, mm-hmm. Mikatarian, who they got in from a free from Roma. Um, Belnova, who they brought in from Calgary. Again, interesting right back. I don't think he'll get a lot of game time, but again, very good player. And Onana and obviously Lukaku. They brought him yeah. back from a loan spell. Um, I, <laughs> Absolutely finessed yeah. Chelsea for £100 million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are the experts. That's all I can say. But yeah, um, what do we think of Inter's chances? Because I, I think they'll be challenging again, but do we think they are scooter to worthy? I think they could push because I think as good as Milan were last year, they weren't mm. that good. I think Inter yeah. weren't a million miles away from it. Like it came down to last match day. I think Inter with Lukaku last year probably win the league. Mm. Um, so I think they're definitely, they've improved that team. There's no beyond yeah. that. There's no doubt beyond that. The goalkeeper situation needed addressing. Yeah. Onana, Onana, it looks like he was a bit rusty from the like drugs ban, but yeah. it seems like he's starting to get his form back. His distribution is much better than than Handanovic. Handanovic is, yeah. massive. Um, I think he's just an all round better keeper. He's younger. Handanovic, in his day, was one of the best keepers in the world, yeah. but his day is gone. I think the goalkeeper situation was huge. I think they've replaced key positions, and another one that's massive is Aslani. Now, he yeah. is like, he's 20, 21 years old. I want to say yeah. very young. Yeah. Only played half a season at Empoli, but been very good in that half a season. And he seems to be the Brozovic backup. And I think what the mm. issue has been for Inter is that when Brozovic is tired, they can't play anyone else. And exactly. he's so key to how they play. Mm. Um, so I think if they can get another player that's able to come in, just in the games against the likes of Salernitana, yeah. teams like that, just to give Brozovic a rest so that when it comes to playing Juventus and Milan and Roma, he's exactly. not blowing out of his arse. Like, Brozovic is so key to that team. I yeah. think Aslani could be massively key just in being backup for him and being another option because they've not they've had no one else to run to. I think Vidal and Sanchez have now gone. Uh, bringing in Mkhitaryan is massive. He had a great season with Roma. And as we've discussed, old people do really well in saying that. And we get to see the Lukaku, um, Lukaku Lautaro partnership again, which was so good under Conte, and we've not seen it under Inzaghi. So I think no. it would be really interesting to see if he can get that partnership back again because they were frightening at times. They're understanding, mm. and they're obviously best friends off the pitch. I think that makes a big difference. Um, it was, it could be really exciting to see them again. Um, it could be challenge. They, they, they yes. have to be challenging again. They have to be. Yeah, exactly. AC Milan, they haven't made a huge amount of signings, but the ones they have bought in seem like replacements or potentially for the future. So we're talking about Didrik Origi, and they've also bought in an interesting player, Charles de Ketelaire from Club Rouge, who is a very, very talented player, possibly a bit raw. Uh, I think mm-hmm. there's a worry that, obviously, if they if he goes the same way as a Christoph Piontek or those mm. other number nines they had at the club that he might not, you know, go to the potential that we know he could deliver. But also they've got, obviously, Zlatan for another season. Mm. Florenzi's uh, permanent now. Um, have they still got Giroud? 
The they Giroud, have, right? they have got Giroud. So they've got the core elements of their squad. Obviously, they tried to go for Renato Sanchez. He decided, or maybe his agent decided to go to PSG. Uh, we don't know that one. Um, but obviously, there's been talked about Sandra Tonali even going to potentially Arsenal, which is weird um, for it me. I can't we see do that not happening. sign Italians. We don't well, sign Italians. Yeah. It, what, what's your thoughts on AC? Do we think they're strong enough? Because I, I feel like... Yes, they've got the core elements of the teams, but all the other teams have bunked up or bulked up their squads. Yeah. They are a better quality than what they were last season. I do fear with AC Milan, they might not be in the top two. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think they retain the Scudetto. I don't think. I think it was so close last year, and that title almost came as a surprise. I think Milan fans, if they were honest with themselves, would be like, they were surprised they won the league last yeah. year, right? And I think most people were surprised. So I think, as you're, you're right, Juve have strengthened, Inter have strengthened, Roma have strengthened. Milan have put in more building blocks, I think. Um, yeah. Charles de Ketelare, or however you say it, another FM Wonder Kid, big summer <laughs> for FM Wonder Kids. He's, he's weird. He doesn't really look like a striker. I thought he was a... Attacking he's like a Peter Crouch style player. He just yeah. doesn't look well, like he should fit there, but he does. He just but he does yeah, everything. Like yeah. and he's again great with his feet. Like late runs into the box, able to beat a man. Great mm. passing range. Like a lot of assists. Like really creative player, exciting player. But he does not look like a striker. I thought he was. I thought he was a number ten, but he's a striker. No, um, he's a striker. So it'll be interesting to see how many opportunities he gets. Um, I think. We could see kind of him take quite a major role and have the old, the, the OAPs on the bench as backup, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, if they're not winning in a game, okay, take him off and bring on Giroud or bring on Zlatan or bring on the region. Mm. Like, I think, or maybe we see Origi getting, getting actually a regular starting spot in a team for once and see how he handles that. It could be interesting. But I think Milan, um, yeah, they've kind of they've, they've stayed where they are, I think. Mm. Um, they've, st- they've stayed where they are. But it'll be. It'll be interesting to see. I think they're much more sensible than they used to be in the past. And having uh, Paolo Maldini in the director of football or sporting director's box has been an absolute masterstroke for them. Like their business just makes so much more sense. Yeah, I think we definitely. will see them compete in kind of long term rather than like a yeah. flash in the pan. Yeah. Exactly. And Maldini's doing a fantastic job in bringing that wage bill down. But mm-hmm. finally, we're going to talk about Fiorentina because I wanted to leave <laughs> this till last because. I think their business has gone under the radar to an extent. Yeah. So they decided against signing the gold machine that is Christoph Piontek. He is back at her for Berlin. But just, just to keep her to up another season. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah. to mention another Polish player for my benefit. Um, yeah. Luka Jovic. Luka Jovic, who I am just so surprised. He's another name that I'm surprised more teams didn't go for him. Yeah. But Fiorentina have. That is an incredible bit of business. They've got Mandragora from Juventus. That's They've huge. Got, uh, Pierluigi Gallini, the uh, the goalkeeper that was at Spurs on loan at Atalanta, but he's now at Fiorentina. And interestingly, Dodo, who is the right back, another FM wonder kid. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He should be an interesting player. Fiorentina, I'll be very interested to see how they progress this season because I think, again, they're another side that could be challenging. I don't think they'll be top four, but I think they'll be top six this time around. What's your thoughts, Rory? Last year, as they've got the most exciting Italian coach at the moment as well in charge of Vincenzo Italiano, and we saw them play a fantastic football last year. Um, Even when Vlavic went and everyone thought, okay, this is the time that they're going to fall apart. 
They kept that going and they got into Europe. Huge for Fiorentina for them to be in Europe. First time in a very long time. I think, yeah, the business they've done is really impressive. Mandragora is a, is a player who's been at Udinese for, on loan for a very long time from Juventus. Um, I think that's the right guy, right? And he's really, yeah. really been very impressive in, in, in Serie A. I think Udinese will be gutted that Fiorentina beat them, to beat them to him, to be fair. Um, and yeah, Luka Jovic, a player that got a big move a bit too soon, right? Had that one big year mm. at Frankfurt and then got yeah. the move to Real Madrid. Obviously, just never worked. Fresh start for him in a in a city and a club that are going to absolutely adore him the second he starts putting balls in the back of the net. It's a it's a team that consistently create great strikers. I think it's there's a lot to be excited about down in Florence. Um, and yeah, Vincenzo Italiano, he's just such a great coach. The football they play is fantastic. He did a great job with Spezia and he's doing a great job with Fiorentina. Mm. Right, just a quick roundup then, Rory, just to put you on the spot. Who do we think is going to be in the top four by the end of this season in Serie A? And who do you predict to be relegated from Serie A? So I'm going to say top four because I feel like I've backed a lot of teams to be top four now. So I'm, just <laughs> them down. Um, I'm going to say in no particular order, I'm going to say Inter, Milan, Roma and Juventus. Even though I've said Spalletti yeah. guarantees you top four, I just realised Juventus exists. So I'm going to say yeah, <laughs> top five maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, going to be definitely. And what about the bottom three? Um, I'm going to say, um, let me look at the table, just so I remind me who who, who is in we there. got in that league. Um, um, I'm going to say Salernitana probably dropped down. I'm going to say Sampdoria finally fall, because yeah. I think they're a club in all types yeah. of trouble. And I'm yeah. going to say Spezia. So all the S's, yeah. Salernitana, Sampdoria and Spezia, that's going to be my guess. What about you? Yeah, I'll be honest, I think we've matched up there quite nicely. I think Lecce will be potentially in that mix for the relegation zone as well. But I would stick with that top four that you've given because, yeah, I can't see the other teams really challenging those other top four that you mentioned. So, yeah, I could definitely see, though, however, Fiorentina pushing for a fifth finish, maybe sixth finish. It depends on Napoli, personally. It depends where they want to be. And we haven't mentioned Atalanta as well. They're, they're going to be there or thereabouts as well. Good business. Um, Adam Oldo-Luckman. That's pretty exciting. Yes, exactly. And Edison for Salernitana as well. So very interesting. But Rory, we move on. We are treating our listeners and watchers oh. uh, because we have also got an interview, an interesting interview that myself and Tommy did. And this was back in June. So we did it with an interesting player. He's going to give us the insights about a player that has had his fair share in the lower leagues of England. And uh, more interestingly, I had to educate Tommy about Accrington Stanley. So without further ado, I introduce you. I couldn't resist. You have to. (laughs) Piero Mingoa. Tommy, it's great to be back, isn't it? But... The most important question before we introduce our guest is, have you ever heard of Accrington Stanley? What did you say? Can you repeat? (laughs) Accrington Stanley. Well, number one, I wouldn't know how to spell the two words that you've just mentioned. But (laughs) no, I have never, never heard about it. And I'm very excited to have this guest on to discuss this and more. Yes. Well, this guest has appeared at Accrington Stanley as well as a number of other clubs. In his uh, career, totaling 300 appearances and scoring approximately around 27 goals, according to Wikipedia, we are welcomed and by the presence of Piero Mingoa. So, Piero, nice to have you on the Anglo-Italian podcast. How are you doing? 
All good, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Tommy, Adam. Um, 27 goals, I think with Kapida, it might be a little bit too kind. It might be <laughs> three or four extra, but I'll take it. No, definitely. And uh, I think we have to kind of tell our listeners and viewers, make sure you search for various goals at Atkinson Stanley and Cambridge United, where you did uh, kind of have a number of belters in you, uh, that's for sure. Um, but let's start by talking about how you got into football, more importantly, and how was your career path before you kind of reached the first club, which was Watford? Pretty standard, to be honest. You know, start start playing for your school team. Uh, then you realise, you know, you might be quite good at this. So friends join a local team. So you go along. Um, I joined that team, which is a team in North London. Enfield was where I'm originally from. Played for them for maybe three, four years, had lots of fun. Um, as a kid, it's probably that's the best time of your, your footballing time because you're just playing with your friends. Uh, if you've got a good team, you're winning trophies, you're winning games, you're playing like, you know, like they say, a kid free in the park, just no fear, you're, you're just playing. Uh, and then at all sorts of those levels, there's scouts kind of going around matches, having a look. Um, had a couple of teams interested. I decided to go to Watford because one of my teammates was already there um, mm. and I was pretty shy as a kid. So it made me feel more comfortable to go there because I, I knew somebody. Six week trial um, and then, yeah, got, got signed up. That, I think it was under 13s, under 14s. Very nice. I wanted to ask you, um, what about your Italian heritage before we start? You were born in London. Are both of your parents Italian? Yeah, both my parents are Italian, um, originally from Sicily. All right, very nice, very nice. Do you ever visit back in the beautiful country, Bel Paese? Every year, every year, every year, <laughs> without <laughs> doubt. I've got, I've got lots of family and friends over there. So I'll be going um, in August to see my family. Uh, with my wife, I bring my daughter. Yeah, no, for me, it's, it's literally like another home. Um, I've been going all my life. And for me, it's a, it's a special place. Do you think your Italian heritage has had a sort of influence in your love for football? Is it something that you that was very heavy in your family, like being football fans, being passionate about the sport? Yeah, my dad's a big football fan. Um, so growing up, we before we could, you could get kind of Italian TV over in England, I remember him listening to AC Milan matches on the radio. Um, that's how far back I can remember. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> this is the moment and, where, where we move on from the Italian football related <laughs> questions. Yeah. And and normally normally in those days AC Milan were winning pretty much everything. Um, yeah. So it was we, good time. We, we are the same age. I remember those years <laughs> with a lot of dread. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um and then yeah, just as I got older, that was always on the TV and then like that's become that's my team. I don't support anybody in England. Um I make sure I watch every AC Milan game and I follow Italian football every day. So, yeah, it's, that's my probably my number one league, to be honest. Very nice. Well, um, Piero, let's take you back to Watford then. Obviously, you spent three years down there. Um, but it was in particular your last season there that you made a numerous amount of like loan deals, in particular Accrington, which sort of made an impression on your career, certainly. Um 
But yeah, how would you reflect on your time at Watford? Because in particular, that last season, you obviously got to experience Gianfranco Zola um, in that kind of hierarchy. Obviously, he was trying to lead Watford into the Premier League at the time. Um, so it must have been a bit of a surreal experience kind of seeing a legend at the time as well, being a manager. Yeah, so my time at Watford, I was there from 13 to 21. So yeah, as a professional, three years, but I was there eight, basically, eight or nine years. Mm. Um, so that kind of obviously had a huge impact on my development as a as a player and as a person. And I was fortunate through that period to have worked with some unbelievable coaches who are now at top clubs um, in various roles um, all over the country. Um, so very, very fortunate for that. And yeah, like my last season, obviously the, the Pozzo family took over. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew a bit about them because of their, obviously their model with Udinese and Granada. Um, and at the time, Udinese were doing pretty well, um, kind of flirting with the Champions League a little bit um, when they had Di Natale kind of leading the way. Um, and, and Zola come in and obviously as an Italian, Gianfranco Zola, he's an absolute legend. So to be able to work with him for the, the couple months that I did was um, a privilege and something that you can kind of never take away. What is, the, what is the best thing you remember about Zola as a coach? He, just, he was just a genuine, nice person who, who cared. He cared about the players. Uh, he come in and he... He kind of had this thing where he, he was very relaxed in a good way. Not too relaxed, but he would, he would let you play freely where some managers like to kind of put lots of pressure on you and, and almost tell you how to play. Mm-hmm. He was a bit more laid back, which allowed you to kind of express yourself without thinking if I make a mistake, he's going to kind mm-hmm. of rip my head off. Um, so it, it, was a, it was very enjoyable to play. And to be honest, I probably had... Sounds silly because I ended up going on loan and stuff, but it was one of the best pre-seasons of my life when he came in, out of my career. Mm. It was, I don't know, I just thoroughly enjoyed it, to be honest. What position have you played, uh, for our listeners, what position have you mainly played throughout your career? So in midfield, all the, on the left, on the right, in the middle, but mainly, if I look back, spent most of my time on the right-hand side. Yeah, no, Tommy, I mean, there was a particular game against Wickham Wanderers where he, uh, yeah, pretty much dons that midfield at one point. Um, yeah, I can remember some really good performances by Piero, not to uh, suck up by any means. Um, you but are. yeah, Piero, <laughs> Piero, let's talk about the managers because you've got a fascinating list of managers as well, especially in your Accrington days as well. So um, yeah, obviously you started off with Paul Cook. You had the likes of James Beattie as well and John Coleman. But I think what I kind of remember from those Accrington days when you were playing particularly for that club was there wasn't kind of a high expectation on you guys, but you kind of seemed to progress season upon season. And in particular, that last season with John Coleman was an interesting one as well. But yeah, can you talk to listeners and viewers as well in particular about those managers because yeah a lot of um i'd say probably lower league english fans will reminisce about those characters um but yeah does there any particular strengths or weaknesses or attributes that you kind of learn from these guys yeah i think throughout as you go through a football career um you learn from from every every manager you work with whether you like them Mm. or whether you think they're good or not there's always something to learn 
and they were all kind of different in their own way uh, and they all made an impact in, in their own way. Paul Cook obviously was my first loan spell uh, away from Watford up north um, so that was straight away it was a kind of a reality check for mm. me because obviously I'd come through and you've been kind of pampered and looked after in the Watford Academy um, to go to Atkinson who at the time didn't even have a training ground um, you really have to kind of get your head down and work hard and without no moaning really, no ego and you just get on with it. Then James Beattie took over. He just finished playing so obviously it was a new experience mm. for him. But again, he was a real um, players manager. He, he really looked after the players so you, you do anything for him. And then John Coleman again, he obviously very experienced and his record speaks for itself to be honest. But mm. all, of them, all of them wanted to play football in the right way which as a, a player coming through Watford Academy at the time, not the biggest, not the the tallest, um, playing football the right way is kind of something that suited me. And I was going to ask you, from that kind of loan spell that you initially had, was that a huge kind of learning curve in your career? Because obviously you were used to academy set up at Watford and you're going into proper football, as they kind of call it, because you're in a raw environment where you're playing with real men, supposedly. So, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting kind of club for you to kind of pick, I suppose, at the time, right? I didn't necessarily pick it. It was kind of like one of the, the few that, that, that came in, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, and, and I'm very grateful for that because because they did end up, gave me a chance of actually having a kind of a, a 10, 12 year career. And if it wasn't for them, I, I don't know where I could have ended up, to be honest. So I'm forever grateful for that. But yeah, it's, it's a reality check. Um, and if, you, if you're a little bit kind of stuck up in a footballing way and you're not willing to work hard, it's, it's a sink or swim moment, to be honest. Mm, no, definitely. So after about three seasons, you then decided to move closer to home. Um, you decided to make that plunge with Cambridge United. And at that point, I remember Cambridge United on paper seemed to be building this really good side at the time. They had Sean Derry um, as manager. And I suppose the expectations were potentially that you should be challenging for the top half of the league at the time. Um, what was your thoughts going into that kind of season? Because obviously, I think you were blessed with a number of good players then, weren't you? Yeah, so really looking forward to it. Um, getting closer to home, which has, has always been um, something that has made me feel that I needed, to be honest. I didn't never like kind of being too far. Um, mm. Being by yourself is a bit boring. And I like to share kind of moments with, with family, maybe come from my Italian kind of heritage. That I was going to say exactly and, the same thing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you share all your good moments with family. Otherwise, what's the point in being by myself? And it's not the same for me. So I like to have people around me um, to share moments with. And yeah, like, it was, like you say, it was a different... Being at Atkinson, we've done really well, but with no expectation. And Cambridge going to a big city, um, good football in history. All of a sudden, there was an expectation. Um, and I think we found it difficult because we had some good players, but it didn't, it never really fully kind of worked. But the mm. expectation, I think the expectation made people unhappy um, mm. instead of actually seeing us for what we were at that time. And I think we finished in the best possible position we could finish. But because of that expectation, I think sometimes you can never please because yeah. they expect that 
but maybe you can't give them that. So for them, it's kind of like a failure where a team like Accrington at the time, um, those smaller teams, they have no expectations. So they're always, always happy. So the, mm. the environment's different. And did you find behind the scenes also that to be reflective, that the atmosphere was different compared to what you had at Atkinson? Because if I remember rightly from the times that I saw Atkinson, you definitely felt like you were a team that you worked for each other, you worked hard. Um, I don't necessarily say that wasn't the case with Cambridge, but certainly I would say I've seen it with my own club where players have joined us and they've kind of reflected on the experience being a bit different to where they previously have been. So was that the same at Cambridge? I think it was the same. The, the group of boys and the staff were really good. Like, it was a really honest group. Hmm. But I think at the time, Cambridge had, had signed um, some players, I think a year before, two years before, after they they drew Man United in the FA Cup and obviously they got a, a decent amount of money. Mm. I think they signed quite a few players on, on big contracts. So as that, and they, they didn't go up. So as time yeah. goes on, behind the scenes, you know, they may be trying to get players off the wage bill. Um, some players they don't fancy. So there's always these little situations going on that's not always kind of perfect for the environment. Um, and I think as mm. they resolve that in, in later years, you see now Cambridge is a really honest kind of, the club seems like it's moving in the right direction. So I think it was just that period where they'd signed some big, big characters, big experienced players on, on quite a bit of money and some mm. didn't work out. So then they've got to try and get them out and maybe some players don't want to leave. So there's all these little things going on that kind of sometimes upset the, the environment without even realising because mm. everyone's, everyone's still trying to work hard. Yeah. But there's just always little bits going on that maybe distract everyone. So I think there was a lot of pressure on Sean Derry, um, if I remember rightly, even at the time, you know, um, and going into that second season, obviously it didn't work out because by February he was moved on. Um, but you did kind of then yourself end up back at Accrington. Um but it was only for part of the season because then you got loaned out to Morecambe. So I suppose we're going to allude to this point, but yeah. We're going into that path where you're kind of unsure about your direction of your future, where it's going, um, I suppose, was that kind of a nervous moment when you kind of brought into a team for half a season then to suddenly find yourself having to go on loan somewhere? Or did you find that as kind of refreshing, you know, try and experience something different as well at the same time? Oh, the, the loan spell was, looking back, probably the, the most I enjoyed football in my last few years, to be honest. It was right. it was absolutely brilliant. Going to Atkinson, I got injured for Cambridge and I hadn't played a game probably for about five, six months. Mm. Um, and then obviously going to a team who just won League Two, it was always going to be difficult to get into the team. Plus, obviously, not really being match fit. I, I, was, I was definitely lacking something um, just because I hadn't played football for a long time. And obviously, you can train as much as you want, but even just getting confidence from the matches. Mm. I, I needed that. So when it come to, to January, I, I just said if I could go on loan. Um, and Jim Bentley at Morecambe, who I'd played against plenty of times, um, called me up, um, gave me a good chat and just said, I want you to just, I just want you to do play what you're good at, play to your strengths, mm. get crosses into the box. Uh, and that was my game. So went along there and the group of lads was very similar to Atkinson, kind of no egos, everybody's in it together. And yeah, we had a brilliant end to the season. And like I say, it was 
those three mm. months I look back look back on very fondly. Yeah. And how is it to enjoy so much a loan spell, but then knowing that it's a limited experience? At some point, you will have to go back. Just, I think you just enjoy. I knew the season was ending, so I knew I was going to end the season with this team. Um, and just get involved and just, I just pretended like I was going to stay there for two years. <laughs> just get involved and do my best. Um, don't think I'm on loan. And no, I'm, once you're there, you're one of the players. You're a Morecambe player for three months, four months. Yeah, maybe you, you've got, maybe you're, I, I feel like the stress levels even go down, like you have really nothing to lose. You're there on loan, you're there for a limited amount of time, you're going to play with your head freer than you would otherwise. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense, but then also at the time, for me, it was, I'm playing basically to show teams that I can still play. Mm. Uh, and maybe someone down south in London or closer to home can see me. So in one way I was playing to kind of to show my ability still. So sometimes the stress goes up because in those games if I play and, and I'm not playing well, then nobody's gonna want you. And I, I wanted to I realised I wasn't gonna kind of get back into Atkinson's team and I kind of in that moment that's when I decided I was gonna move back down south and and start kind of moving forward. I did see, obviously, after that spell, you kind of moved on to Boreham Woods, which um, for many of our Italian listeners, they probably haven't heard of, but that's a conference league side. And you had a really successful first season there as well because you ended up in the playoffs um, and scoring a goal in that run as well. So um, how do you reflect on your time in the conference? Because I know in England, we kind of talk about the levels between sort of League Two and Conference being non-existent these days, especially given the kind of budget differences between the two leagues as well. So are you finding that the Conference is maybe more competitive to an extent than what is in League Two at the moment? Yeah, I enjoyed that spell. Uh, obviously, COVID and stuff happened. Mm. So that, that really disrupted a few things. But good, good club, good manager. Um, met some some good people along the way, and like you say, for me that I don't think there's much difference between League Two and the Conference. I actually always I'm kind of part of the argument. I say it should be called League Three um, <laughs> because now they're all the teams are basically full time, yeah, and there isn't much difference. And as you see, teams that normally get promoted from the Conference end up fi- finishing pretty high in League Two straight mm-hmm. away. So it says um, there's big clubs in that in that league now, and it. It needs to get the respect it deserves. Um, maybe they should change the, the automatics to maybe two and the playoff place because it's extreme. Yeah. Once you fall into that league, it's extremely hard to get out. Um, you can have a great season and still fall short. So, yeah, maybe that's something to look at. But I think you need the, the EFL clubs to agree to that. And I don't think many would, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. But back to you, Piero. Um, we wanted to really capture the point of view of a footballer, especially when they've been told from a club that they're not going to be contracted for the next season. So in that kind of space, what is the thoughts of a player? I mean, are you very reliant on your agent if you have one? Or are you kind of reliant on the network of people that you know to kind of help you out in this kind of, I suppose, circumstance? Because, I mean... When I talk about my kind of career, professional career, 
I don't kind of naturally feel that there's an issue if I was to move out of the industry because I would have maybe a career path lined up. But for a footballer, it's completely different. And you're having to kind of reach out to people and sell yourself to an extent. So, yeah, I suppose from a fan's perspective, can you try and explain to us how that experience is for you as a footballer? Okay, so you normally most clubs, um, unless you're kind of in the playoffs or competing for a title or something. They'll normally let you know maybe a week or two before the end of the season um, that mm. maybe they're not renewing your contract. And then basically you've got around two months to to kind of find something, line something up before pre-season starts. In an ideal world, you'd like to be somewhere when pre-season starts. That's not always the case. And as you're when you're younger, I think you're relying a lot on, on an agent or some, someone external because you don't, you won't know too many people in the game. Your network won't be that big. Um, as you get older, it might be a bit of both. If you've got an agent that you can trust, um, and I, I say that kind of the word trust is important because there's so many these days that anybody can be an agent. And I don't think that's great for the sport because I, I think it's an extremely important role. And there's some people just doing it that are not up to, to the levels that, that it mm -hmm. should be. And obviously, as you get older, you know more people in the game, coaches, managers, um, people that you've worked with, and they might be able to help you along the way. But it, it's not its not a nice period. Normally, what people don't know, I don't think, is if you're, I know if you're in the EFL and upwards, you get, your contract runs out uh, 30th of June normally. Mm. Um, so you get paid then. So that covers you for July. And then if you haven't found the club by, I think it's the end of July, you will get an extra month severance pay. So really you're kind of covered until end of August, September, really right. financially. So that kind of helps people out if they don't find the club straight away. But obviously if you haven't found a club by then, it's obviously maybe time to, to drop down levels or, you know, because if mm. clubs want you, they, they kind of sign you up definitely before the season starts. So if you don't have a club by the time the season starts, it's pretty, mm. it's, it's quite an important moment, to be honest. And what do you think about the roles of agents then? Because um, I know previously speaking to Tom Haightley, he kind of talks about the positive aspects as well of an agent, for example, where his experience was he was bought away from the UK, went abroad, for example, and what the agent did, and he was lucky to have a really good one, was that he helped him set up in that country, for example. Um, but as you've alluded to, there is some really bad ones as well. Um, there's ones that proclaim to be an agent, but don't look at the player's interest. So, yeah, do you think there should be some sort of governance with this? Because we're kind of seeing as a fan's topic about the likes of Mino Royola and the likes, for example, that earn a lot of money but the question mark for a lot of fans is what do they actually do? Like what, what is it that they benefit their clients? So yeah, from your point of view, should there be some sort of governance around what they actually do? Yeah. I think, I think those top guys, I think they, they actually, they're very good. Um, and you see the players when they speak about, obviously you see, they speak about Ryola um, when he passed away, unfortunately, they all, mm. The message was all the same is he would do anything for his players and he'll fight mm. to get the best deal for his players. So I think the top, the big companies, the people at the top, I think they they do things properly. I think it's as you go down 
um, maybe lower leagues and stuff, and you just see people popping up saying agents and players and parents out of fear, desperation um, to try and move up will we'll sign mm. with anyone. Um, and that, when that happens, I think it's a dangerous game because you're trusting people that shouldn't be trusted sometimes. Mm. Yeah, and you're you're kind of playing with people's lives and the wrong move just for the benefit, just for the profit that the agent is making. It could be a turning point in your career for the worse. So it's definitely definitely tough. I wanted to ask you one thing: Have you ever received any offers? Have you ever been in touch with uh, any Italian clubs throughout your career? No, um, it wasn't. It wasn't never an option for me to be honest. Because, because I ended up, I was playing in the, like the lower leagues, still professional. And for me, there isn't um, a better setup than England for the lower leagues. Mm -hmm. So yeah. for me, there wasn't really an option to kind of go to Italy because I, I didn't, I don't think the, in, the infrastructure um, and the way it's set up is, is as good mm. as England. So, so that, that's the reason why. So, Piero, let's talk a little bit back to your kind of career and um, let's talk about players that you played with. So, who was the best player that you managed to play with? Ooh. Or against? Mm. So, against, this is always a, an interesting one. <clears throat> so, when we were at Watford, we had, like I said, we had some good coaches with some good contacts. And when we were 16, 15, 16, the youth team got asked to play um, a friendly against Inter um, at Inter's training ground, which are called a Piano Gentile. A Piano Gentile, yeah, just yes. one hour north of Milan, almost on the border with uh, Switzerland. Beautiful place, by the way. So we should have been playing under 19 Inter. Mm -hmm. So we went what, along. Uh, what year? Do you remember? Maybe 2010. Woo! The year for Inter Milan. The, the year, I think. <laughs> the year. But it, it might have been. It might have been the end of two thousand and nine. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. So the, uh, wow. So the beginning of that season, like right before the beginning. So. Of I think the group. I think it was the group stages of the Champions League. All right. And then we get there, um, and I could obviously I read the Gazette most days. Um, my dad <laughs> always used to have it every day. So I had there was a gazetta in the hotel and I'd read it and it, we saw a little article saying Watford, so we were all like excited saying that we're in the paper. And then it said, Mourinho's going to play some players who didn't travel last night. Um, I think they were playing in Ukraine at the time for the Champions League game um, to get them some match fitness. So we ended up actually playing against uh, Adriano, Crespo, <laughs> Olivia Decourt, uh, Victor Obina. Oh man, what and, a throwback! And Will and, and Walter Samuel. So I'm actually at home. I've got in. I've got Crespo's shirt with Adriano's signature on it. So <laughs> that's the only time I wear an Inter shirt. If I put that on. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And how was it? Like of these players, which one is the one that stood out the most to you on the pitch? All of them, to be honest, and they, like you say, they were playing against, they were playing against young boys. So for them, it was, it was like playing in the park. Um, but they, they were just on a, a different level, mm. and yeah, without, without trying. I think it was five nil at half time, and then I think respectfully they just kind of stopped. Mm. Um, but we, we didn't care. We, they could have lost twenty nil. I, I didn't care. As soon as the final <laughs> whistle went, we, we ran towards them trying to get their shirt. <laughs> 
What about over in England? Other great players you remember playing against or with? Played against, uh, let's think. Would have been young, young Jack Grealish. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe young, and he's young now, but Calvin Phillips a few years ago, we played Leeds uh, and obviously they're coming up. Um, Tom Huddleston played against him mm. for Hull. Um, obviously, I think he ended up getting a few caps for England. I think they're the main ones, to be honest. We 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 had mm. in the, normally in the in the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup, you would draw kind of um, the bigger teams. Let's say if you got far far enough, um, and Leeds, Leeds, Hull, Cardiff at the time when they were in the Premier League, they're they're the main ones. Never really got mm. to play against like the big big. Big boys. Big question, Piero, but I feel like you've got an answer for everything. So I think <laughs> you've already thoroughly thought about this. If you had made it up to the national teams, would have you picked England or Italy? There's no, there's no discussion on that. Italy. Yes, uh, so I've, like, correct answer. I've, I've, been brought, <laughs> I've been brought up Italian, um, so I fully consider myself Italian. Um, So, yeah, for me, it was, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. When Italy play England, <laughs> that's a stressful match for me. <laughs> can imagine. Um, I think we're coming towards the end of the interview itself. But, Piero, I wanted to ask you, if there was one rule that you would change in football, what would that be? Oh, good question, Adam. Is in the game? Mm-hmm. Anything you'd like to change? Anything? Because I think this is one of those where, as fans, we naturally go, like... We've heard like load of like rule changes. For example, like even Arsene Wenger's talking about kick-ons as opposed to throw-ons, for example. As a player yourself, if there was one rule that you feel that should be changed for the benefit of the game, what would you go for? It won't, I won't change anything to do with the game because I'm pretty happy with how the game goes so far. It would probably be, just off the top of my head, some sort of cap on, and I don't mean how much they can earn, but how much they can access younger players. Okay. So let's say they're on 50 grand a week. They can only access a certain amount of it and the rest gets looked after. Mm. They have to put it away. Um, It's like just because, because I think when you start getting players 17, 18, 19 on silly money and some haven't even played for the first team, mm. I sometimes think, well, what is... What is the motive? What is the motivation? Yeah. Are they going to lose motivation because they don't actually have to get to the first team anymore to maybe be set for life? So mm. I think if you actually looked, I think you'd, we would have lost some extremely talented footballers because they didn't have to push anymore. Um, Tommy, did you have any other questions? Look, um, Piero, thank you so much for coming on. And I also like, I really enjoy uh, meeting, you know, players who've had a career like yours uh, because you actually get a better feel of how the career of a footballer really is. Um, Mm. So the starts, the loan spells, traveling up north, which sounds like whenever I hear somebody from England, I'm not very uh, knowledgeable of England, but whenever I hear going up north playing up north it sounds very lord of the ring like it sounds like this <laughs> wild land where it always rains and then you mentioned like going back south it was a great feeling so man i, I really loved the i really loved the hearing everything about it good luck with your with your future plans good luck with your child again 
And well, good luck also to AC Milan. Come on, let's be let's be. <laughs> I'll come. We'll, we'll, I'll come. And, I'll come and see you in Milan. We'll go for pizza. Definitely pizza and beer. That's that's the way to do it. Okay. Maybe for a derby. Come for the derby. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll sort it out. Rory, we got Tommy through. We managed to educate him on Accrington Stanley in the end. But it was great having Piero on in particular when he shared us his insights on AC Milan as well. That's his pure club as well. So, yeah, we'll have to bring on Piero for future episodes. But, Rory, that's been a fascinating episode i've really enjoyed myself um but this is just the first episode i can't I know it's it. the start we've got a long road ahead of us we've got a whole season and a world cup to squeeze in it's gonna be it's a <laughs> lot guys i hope you're ready to hear our voices because there's gonna be a lot of it over the next nine months <laughs> like, definitely yeah and we we have to do the housekeeping bit as well because the monday night shows that's not gonna mm. take place immediately is it rory uh, no, I'm kind of floating in between the UK and Italy for the next couple of weeks. So I'm not going to be settled again until September. So the um, Monday night live shows will come back on, I believe, the 5th of September is the Monday. Uh, if not, the Monday closest to that date. <laughs> um, they'll be coming back. There may be some time changes, but we will keep you up to date. Up to date updated either um and we will see you there but yeah they will be coming in just after a bit of a break i've had a very long summer guys very long summer so i'm gonna sign out on this quote from the beloved ian holloway and that is i couldn't be more chuffed if i was a badger at the start of mating season and with that we'll sign out thanks guys and we'll see you at the next episode see you later